Scroop cops, scroop chips, scroop chipmunks, scroop squirrels, scroopers du jour, scroopers du jean, poops dust, pooplers, poodlers, scoodlers, and midnight cadoodlers. Once again, we confab convene, and otherwise hobnob at the richly appointed, finely detailed, rosy, crimson, ruby flushed, rubicon, vermilion, coral, maroon, carmine, cochineal, rubescent, sanguine secret chamber of the hostelry on the west side of Holly Rock, known as the Bar Lubitsch, where we launch the poopcast into the ether and hope a winter breeze takes us on its gossamer back and sends us sweeping aloft the podcast gods and goddesses gently blowing at my pod rod as we swing once more by the pleasure chest across the street where <clears throat> fistuary is almost over and snarch rears its ugly wadded like head at us this is the smartest man in the world Proopcast, and I welcome the people in the room here on this festive night it's band night here at Bar Lubitsch because the seating is festival style there's been brocade benches presented as if we're going to have an 18th century quadrille festival after the show and people will be wearing powdered wigs and stuffing rodents out of their hair with giant <laughs> thank you with giant oriental chopsticks that they carry for that very purpose. So take a hit of snuff and feed the cricket you have in a cage around your neck and let's all once again enjoin on this fabulous red brocade night because as I say it's band night. There's been a $5 admission table set up in the anti-way as you make your uh uh, climb back into the uh, Vermilion Chamber here uh, the, to the Red Planet, uh, Mars, the God of War. And, uh, uh, and and people are trying to pay to get into my show tonight, which I love. So I said to Ian, who's working the door for the show after that's already set up its pay stand, if anyone pays, fucking let me have some money because my show's free. <laughs> so uh, hope springs eternal within the human breasts. Uh, and here we are. By the way, Crimson Rhinos phone me. Come out and play. Castle's green descending. Beckon me to stay. The speckled hamster stops his wheel and kneels down to pray. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> the bar Lubitsch reminds me of so many things. One, drinking. Montcalm! <laughs> Smoking jays on the sidewalk across from the pleasure chest. And uh, sitting out in the, in the courtyard out there while um, douchebag uh, lower-level Hollywood types pretend to make deals. <laughs> it's a very exciting atmosphere, one that's pulsing and vibrating with promise, and one that I hope to deliver on that promise tonight through the, a few simple dick jokes and the laying on of hands. Because although the crowd looks in fine fettle tonight, you never know when a child might roll in with no limbs at all and have only a small tangerine-like head that requires me to cure him with a prupicism of some kind or a cutting barb towards some public figure that he detests or even to shit on something that that tangerine-headed child loves and once again make him understand that the world is not at his fucking beck and call but that he himself must bend. Uh... Ernst Lubitsch was a director of immense uh, wit and talent, and uh, he made uh, such movies as Bluebeard's Eighth Wife and uh, The Shop Around the Corner. Shop Around the Corner or Around the Corner? Anybody? Anyway, I think it's Around, right? No, Shop Around the Corner, which was horribly remade into uh, in the 90s with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, You've Got Mail. Uh, let me explain to you the Shop Around the Corner plot. Uh, it takes place in uh, Hungary in the 30s in Budapest and they're all Hungarian it's a Hollywood movie stay with me it's not it's not actually shot in Hungary or anything shot right here probably right across the street and um, James Stewart is in it and Margaret Sullivan and uh, uh, um, Frank um, Cock what's his last name Wizard of Oz he played the Wizard of Oz Frank um, oh I'm falling down on the job here I'm supposed to be the smartest man in the world and I went to the smartest crowd in the world and they turned into the scaredest crowd in the world and then the most uninformed movie crowd in the world. Frank Morgan, and he had a brother as well. And you know what Frank Morgan said? Well, the witches, why didn't you say so? Like he was, he was restrained on screen. Frank Morgan rarely went over the top. Uh, and then he does with one of the great bad Cockney accents in the movie of all time when she gets to the Emerald City and they, you're out of the woods, you're out of the, and they knock on the thing and then they finally get in past him and he goes, he does all that. And why didn't you tell me? And um, then he lets her in and he's driving the horse and the horse is blue and then the horse is pink and then the horse is red and he goes 
Take you around the Emerald City? <laughs> Why, this is the also of a different colour you've heard tell of. Like that, really penetratingly awful Cockney accent from Frank Morgan in that one. But then he has one of my favourite lines in the movie. Remember in the beginning when he looks at her, he's digging in her bag when he asks her to close. You must close your eyes so that Marvel may come with the infinite. And he reaches in her thing and he goes... Um, uh, uh, do you have a, an aunt? And she goes, uh, named, uh, uh, and she goes, Aunt M. And he goes, Emily. Right? Like he knows and shit. Then the hurricane stirs up and she fucks off. And that's where the commercial goes. If you watch the commercial version, right when she fucks off into the hurricane, he goes, poor little kid. I hope she gets home all right. Like that. And then, no, she fucking doesn't get home all right. The fucking giantest special effects twister in the fucking world fucks over her farm. And all of the vaudeville comedians who work there. What are the chances of working in Kansas in the 30s and having Burt Lahr, great Jewish vaudevillian, and Ray Bolger, supreme specialty dancer, working on that farm with you? And as we've discussed on the podcast, none of them have West Coast accents. None of them. Hey, Dorothy. You better get those pigs in. And you're like, whoa, no, dude, you're so from the East Coast. I know I have a heart because mine is breaking. <laughs> Fucking awesome. So Frank Morgan's in Shop Around the Corner, and he plays Mr. Munichak or something like that. I can't remember. They have all have authentic. Lubitsch is Hungarian, right? Like so many Germans. And, uh, well, no, like, like Michael Curtiz, right? Michael Curtiz was Hungarian, known as a German in Hollywood. I'm missing another director, too. Oh, Cuddle Zockel, uh, who's in, uh, um, Casablanca, who plays the, the waiter, Fritz, right? With the, and who always went, he's in, um, what's it? What's the one with Barbara Stanwyck where she's gonna, uh, she's like a Martha Stewart type and she's staying in a house in Connecticut and they send out a, a soldier and he's really good looking and uh, Cuddles is the, is the cook at the house. Christmas in Connecticut? No one fucking remembers this one. <laughs> anyway, and that one, and he's also in a, a Billy Wilder one that's also a, a Lubitsch called Ball of, The Ball of Fire. And uh, in The Ball of Fire, he plays a, Gary Cooper's uh, working on an encyclopedia with seven, with six other professors. So they're like the seven dwarves. And the professors are all famous character actors that you recognize from the 30s and shit. And Gary Cooper. And uh, Cooper's in charge of slang. So he's like, hmm, what is this jive boogie? You know, right? Like, it's hilarious. I know. What a, hey, what does drop dead deadbeat mean? And Cuddles, there's one scene at the end. At the end of the movie, there's a big fight, and you know, Cuddles is going to get with Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck is a gangster girl, and she throws him one, and it bends his mind, right? Like, she kisses him, and he's all sweaty, and he takes out his handkerchief, and she goes, Look at you, big leg. One little kiss, and you're dabbing up your brow. And he goes, uh, Tell me again about yum yum. Huh? <laughs> and I think Gary Cooper probably said that to every girl. I hope he did, and every guy. Uh, tell me again about yum yum. Um, so Lubitsch uh, directed that one. Cuddles in the back scene of that one, that when they're finally getting the couple together. Cuddles is, does, uh, I'm just going to do a series of Cuddles takes. Scene stealing. There's five people on camera. He's in the back of the scene. There's this one. And then he goes, like that. And then, like, you, you're like, really? In a movie, you're doing that? Did nobody see you during the dailies? Like, no, that's what he does. Don't, don't fuck with him. That's what Cuddles does. Cuddles, Zuckle goes like this. Oh! And you remember in Casablanca, Rick, you've done a beautiful thing. You, you, you. He, and he does the glasses. Like that, you know. Is this place honest? Honest is the days long. Just Yiddish. Just fucking Yiddish. So good. So Lubitsch made all those movies, and he was, guess what, Jewish. And two, my favorite quote, the one we started the Pripcast with uh, somewhat uh, 17 years ago, when we started in this very room, uh, uh, he's directing David Niven and um, uh, Bluebeard's Eighth Wife. David Niven plays a moron, which is hilarious. Gary Cooper's just super hot. And uh, is it Claudette Colbert? Mm. I, you know what? Forgive me, Claudette Colbert. You were a magnificent movie star. Completely unfuckable. Um, maybe not completely unfuckable, but on the bubble. Uh, and Cooper, of course, you know, wow. Yeah, charging cock. I mean, you know, in each movie, Sergeant York, he's a cock with a, like a Tommy hat on him. In, in Morocco, he's a cock with a foreign legion kepi on him. Like any movie Coop's in, he's just, John Doe, oh, I gotta go tell the people. All right, you know, you're like, yeah. you No, you don't have to tell the people. You just have to stand there and fucking take it. 
in uh, which I can't remember which fucking movie I'm on now. In any case, uh, Lubitsch directed all those pictures, and he said to David Niven when they were on making Blueberry State Park. Niven was nervous as fuck, and he was just new in the movies, and he's playing a moron male assistant secretary character, you know, and it's Niven, so he's got a little thumb mustache, and he's like, and uh, uh, they do the scene, and Lubitsch goes, "Mm." do it again, and uh, okay, they do it again, do it again, Uh, uh, cut, do it again, Niven, after like the fifth take, goes, Mr. Lubitsch, what do you want me to do, and Lubitsch goes, just do it better. (laughs) And that's my favorite thing any director ever said to any actor. Uh, so Lubitsch said these things, and they're so fucking good. In Hollywood, we acquire the finest novels in order to smell the leather bindings. <laughs> I, I've been to Paris, France, and I've been to Paris, Paramount. Paris, Paramount's better. Uh, this one, I thought, really struck me like uh, an, uh, a, a, a ruby vermilion rubicund bullet fired from uh, uh, a David Cronenberg gun made out of uh, food that you pulled out of a bowl. <laughs> Like in the movie Existence, when you pull a jaw out of a bowl and turn it into a fucking, uh, one of those weird pop guns. Nobody should try to play comedy unless they have a circus going on inside. What the fuck, right? Fucking good call. We'll get to Gwyneth at the Oscars. Oh no, we'll get to comedy. So, you know what I mean? Inside my head, you don't need to look very far. You can almost hear like... He flies through the air with the greatest of ease. That daring young troops on the flying trapeze. His witticisms are banal. He drinks like a sleaze. And my love, he's strolling away. That fucking indecipherable Beatles song that was like, wow, dude, you were high. And when you see the poster that he wrote it from, the exact lyrics are written on the poster. John literally turned to his right and wrote that song. But he was tripping. Uh, And this one I thought was really good. Just substitute the words TV or cable or internet or whatever you want for silent movies. And absolutely out because we had a silent film win the Oscar for the first time since 1929, which is absolutely fucking mind-bending. And I don't mean in an M. Night Shyamalan mind-bender way. I mean without the special effects. You could name the great star... This is Lubitsch still, in case anyone's like, is this Gary Cooper? I'll read it as Gary Cooper if you like. I think it'll be funnier that way. You could name the great stars of the silent screen who were finished. The great directors gone, the great title writers who were washed up. But remember this as long as you live. The producers didn't lose a man. They all made the switch. That's where the great talent is. Tell me again about being a privileged guy. I added that part. I thought that was a good line. Uh, and uh, let's move on to the, the pictures because we, we had the Oscars. Oh, no, no. First corrections. First corrections. All right. First of all, uh, at the Proopcast here, I've had uh, uh, various uh, comedial friends of mine say to me, um, Greg, they say, um, may I be a guest on your show? And um, I say, I work alone. So uh, fudge off. And uh, the reason is, I found a quote today from James McNeil Whistler, the noted artist and wag, who used to match wits with Oscar Wilde at parties in London very unsuccessfully through a good deal of the latter part of the 19th century. McNeil Whistler is one of those Americans who moved to London, uh, so I kind of dig him for that. He was about, I guess, in his early 30s when he moved there, uh, and he moved there about like right before the Civil War. Uh, Not the English Civil War. That would, of course, have made him one of the Tudors, and then there would have been a whole... In any case, let's not get things too confused here. And not before the writing of the Clash's English Civil War, which I presume was later in the 70s. Uh, He moved in about 1859, and him and and Oscar Wilde would go to parties together, and of course the most famous one is, uh, they were always, uh, uh, you know, at each other at the parties and competing uh, with witticisms and bone mows. And... Uh, Oscar said something particularly quippy, and James went, um, oh, I wish I'd said that. And Oscar Wilde said, don't worry, James, you will. And um, 
Yeah. Fucking hilarious. Um, but James McNeil Whistler was quite, quite witty on his own. And this is my favorite one. I, I just found it. If, and this is why I thought of it, because of the poop cast. Because I, although I do occasionally let people um, ask a question on the show, really, Because uh, as you know, while I'm speaking, I'm mesmerizing myself. I go to a high hypnotic state, like a, an Incan priest. I, I, the, the bodies of my ancestors all wrapped up behind me tidily on those weird basket rocks that they live on and forever and ever with all their gold jewelry and turquoise through their noses and whatnot. I reach a higher plane of Colchester by simply listening to my own voice at all times. I'm in a swirling, whirling mass of irradiated fucking violet stars that just seize my brain and spin it around. Like, you know when you stick the knife into the chunky peanut butter and you go, the chunks do what they want, you know what I mean? That's what it's like inside my head. Uh, so uh, I don't really have time for everybody to chime in. Uh, I, I quote a lot of other people, you have to admit. I, other people have a voice in my show. It's, they're usually dead or not here talking on the mic with me. Sometimes I'll talk to Matt, won't I, Matt? So you can almost hear him there. Uh, James McNeil Whistler said, if other people are going to talk, conversation becomes impossible. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. So true. And flattery, flattery charges my battery. Um, I have to read this one again just because it was so good. We were reading Monk last week, those Monk quotes, and I can't stop reading them. Uh, If you're swinging, swing some more. Oh, my goodness. Truer words was never spoken. Uh, many corrections from the last two or three Proopcasts. Uh, I mentioned a group called The Party at the last Proopcast we did here at the Lubitsch. This is for our younger listeners. Uh, the, po- the Party was a Disney uh, Channel uh, Musketeer group that spun off and did a video. And then the last album of The Party, awesomely, the most depressing name of any album for children ever, The Party's Over. <laughs> Pick up your cake and your napkins. You, what's your name, Hunter? Get the fuck out of here. Hey, Hunter, pick up that punch. All right? I'm not a maid. All right? I'm not your mother. Get out. Party's over. It's a Disney channel. You've had your fun. Hit those bricks. Hit those tiny plastic Lego bricks, you little fuckers. Uh, And I said that Cisco of Drew Hill and Thong Song fame was in the party because I'm so old that the dude in the party looked like Cisco to me. And I'll be honest, since the Thong Song had its heyday some 11 years ago or whenever it was, and our hairdresser at the time, and I call him a hairdresser because he was, um, said to us, we've written new lyrics to it here at the salon. And we were like, what are those lyrics? And he went, it goes like this. Let me see your schlong. Schlong, 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 No, He actually told us that. Uh, that uh, it had been that long since I'd actually seen Cisco, frankly. So Cisco's name is Mark. This is from Wikipedia. Normally, I would dig deeper, but I lost interest after 14 seconds. Because there's another guy in the group we're not even going to fucking... Cisco's name is Mark Althaven Andrews. Seriously. Known by his stage name, Cisco, which is spelled S-I-S-Q-O with a kind of a grave. Uh, is an American R&B singer, songwriter, Richard producer, and Atch tour. He is best known as the lead singer of the R&B group Drill Hill, and also for, quote, Thong Song, a song from his first solo album, Unleash the Dragon. <laughs> and let me see your shlong. That became an international hit. Cisco also calls himself, quote, the dragon. I would only call part of myself the dragon were I Cisco. He was polite, but very insistent in his song. He asked, he said, let me, but then he wouldn't quit fucking asking. And I didn't want to show you my thong, 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 Because I don't want to have male whale tail or muffin top. 
And then a Cisco update. I thought I'd hip you from Wikipedia. Now, mind you, these are all unverified, unsighted, and untrue. So remember that. <laughs> what was the old Congress of Wonders? The story you're about to hear is true. Only the story has been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> In January 2010, Cisco uh, entered the UK reality TV show Celebrity Entered participated I mean if you call yourself the dragon I guess you enter things <laughs> kind of like Bruce Lee or whatever and let me chop your schlong uh, the, the uh, show entered uh, uh, participated in the UK reality TV show stop it uh, celebrity big brother not you guys the microphone as a participant in the competition becoming the fifth to be evicted this is in a double eviction with 29% of the public vote against Stephen Baldwin and Ivana Trump. So I've seen Celebrity Big Brother and it's hosted by these two guys named Ant and Dak. I'm not kidding. They're named Ant and Dak and yeah, they look like that. Uh, and they're, they're pretty weird. It's a it's fun show, I guess. Um, anyway, that's the last time we saw Cisco. The other the point what I was going to get to about the guy from the party is I tried to figure out which one because I went on the list of the cast of the party and I could never connect the name to which fucking dude looked like Cisco. So sorry, it wasn't Cisco, but I can't tell you the name. Don't email me. Do not tweet me. I don't care. The subject is closed. <laughs> Like fucking Tutankhamun's tomb in 3,000 years' time, an unlucky English guy is going to open this, and the microbes of this conversation are going to poison his lungs eternally. He's going to cough up one small green lizard and then keel over directly because we spent any time at all talking about who the fuck was in the party it wasn't Cisco. Uh, the movie Monk, Straight No Chaser. Uh, I said Clint Eastwood directed it because I was kind of drunk and I was in Raleigh. And um, it was, he, his company produced it, whatever they're called, Malaparizo or Malfeasance or whatever the fuck Clint Eastwood's company is called. Uh, the woman who directed was named Charlotte Zwerin and she died a few years ago. A documentary film director and editor best known for work concerning artists and musicians. Well, Monk, Straight No Chaser is so awesome. And remember, if you're swinging, swing some more. Uh, I also indicated or inferred or rather said straight out, what am I, a politician? I fucking said it because I was wrong. Um, I indicated that in the song Sex Machine, or I believe it's, uh, it's get, to give it its proper title, quotation marks, get up, brackets, I feel like being a, end brackets, sex machine, quotation mark. It's one of those great bracket songs, right? Uh, like, I'm not in love. Uh, get up, I feel like being a sex machine. I said Maceo Parker, the saxophone player who was from North Carolina, sang the get up part. Well, he fucking didn't sing the get up part. And I was made known <clears throat> to me by our loyal Proop Castilians out there and our Proop Correctors and our Proop Inquisitors who fucking jumped my shit like a million tons of fucking kittens going after a bag of kitten chow that had just fallen off a kitten wagon. They were fucking all over me like kittens on fucking kitten rice. <laughs> So, the person who sang... Now, you know the song I'm talking about because it, there's actually... I found a transcription of the opening of the song here. Uh, you know the song uh, Sex Machine, right? Because it, it has the groove that starts... Dun, 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 and then he goes, um, Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. And the band goes, Yeah, that's right. And he goes, I want to do it, man. You know, like a sex machine. Moving, doing it. You know, can I count off? And the band goes, All right. And, and the, he goes, One, two, three, four. And the band goes... Bum, 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 get up! And then the guy who sings, who I was wrong about, is Bobby Bird. Goes, get on up! And that's who fucking sing it. His name is Bobby Bird, B-Y-R-D. Singer, songwriter, arranger, born in, I can't pronounce this town, Tacoa, Georgia, uh, 15 August 1934. Without the involvement, and this is how remiss I was by saying that it was Maceo Parker and not fucking Bobby Bird. Uh, the career of James Brown, the godfather of soul, the hardest working man in show business, Mr. Please, Please, Please. Um... <laughs> I'm almost going to take my coat off and throw it on the ground and just lay down for a while. Kick, kick my feet and then get up again. No one did a better act. Uh, uh, might as well not have happened at all. In 1952, it was Bird who discovered the young Brown in a prison in Tacoa, Georgia, where he was serving time for burglary and helped get him an early release. The law-abiding Bird and his local basketball team were playing against the prison team for which Brown was a pitcher. They were playing a baseball game. Yeah, there's always baseball. 
Funny, Georgia's near Alabama, and Alabama is where Satchel Page is from. Thank you very much. Uh, Bird and his family vouched for Brown, gave him a home, and the two formed a gospel group called The Flames. Everyone following? Originally, uh, the nominal leader, Bird became Brown's right-hand man and a founder member of the group that became James Brown and the Famous Flames. For many years, Bird was a loyal servant to Brown as a warm-up man, background vocalist, organist, co-writer, and arranger. But like many of Brown's subsequent collaborators, he seldom received the credit he deserved. Bird was one of the co-writers of Brown's 1970 worldwide hit, Get Up, I Feel Like Being a Sex Machine. First of all, Thank you, Paul. First of all, if you're going to write a song and you think, we got a groove here, we should really fucking lay something down. And then you think, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait, I got it. Get up. I feel like being a sex machine. And then the other guy goes, fuck yeah. <laughs> but we don't want to confuse people, so let's put parentheses around the middle clause <laughs> so that the funk presides. Uh, I think that is an amazing moment in American music history. <laughs> I also saw him perform it on the Mike Douglas television program in 1970 when I was but a 10-year-old uh, young girl. And I was at home afternoon after school, 3.30 in the afternoon when Mike Douglas was on. And it was from WPIX, was it, in Philadelphia or whatever? Uh, fucking James Brown and the Flames come out. Fucking Bobby Bird, right? Now this is how remiss I was that I remember Maceo Parker's in the band. And... Um, they fucking, oh no, it's, it, it's, I think it's the JBs at this point. It's probably Bootsy and all of them. Um, they get up and they do fucking Sex Machine, right? And they're like, get up, get on up, or get up, get on up, right? Uh, I want to stay on the scene uh, like a loving machine. Uh huh. Right? The fucking crowd is going like this. Mike Douglas's crowd was all older women who were there on their own and like four men. And uh, in those days, in the early 70s, you know, they had like little sweaters on and whatnot in their purse and their lap and shit. And the crowd is fucking like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I've never. And the, James finishes the number and the band, you know, bam, 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 right? They end on the one. And over comes Mike Douglas and he goes, I have never seen my crowd grooving like this, James. <laughs> And I wanted to say, Mike, I dare say the crowd has never grooved. This, this may be their first attempt at grooving. And they uh, fucking graduated immediately because the black man had his dick all up in their shit. And Bobby Bird was going, get on up. Uh, he also sang as well as Lost Someone Lick and Stick. Oh, Lick and Stick. Let's just discuss the lyrics to that song for a moment. Talk about double entendre of the blues. Mama, come here quick and give me that Lick and Stick. Okay. Uh, it's a song about love. <laughs> Talking loud and saying nothing. Get up, get into it, and get involved. When the James Brown box set Star Time was released, Bird's name was credited on half a dozen tracks. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Also, known as, also usually known just as Sex Machine is a funk song recorded by James Brown and released in a two-part single. Yeah, PT1 and PT2. Like, say it loud, I'm black and proud. Uh, that uh, no no the, um, I've got the wrong one it's um uh, I've got soul and I'm super bad that's also comes in two parts and then there's one version that's one part it's really good I've got soul and I'm super bad uh, fellas I'm ready to get up yeah the song's freeform lyrics consist mostly of Brown's and this is what I love about writing about funk the song's freeform lyrics consist mostly of Brown's exhortations to get up stay on the scene. <laughs> Like a sex machine. I exhort you, crowd. Mama, come here quick and give me that licking stick. I implore you. I exhort you. Uh, along with Bird's regular shots of, get on up. Because that's what he did. The, the piece is harmonically static, aside from a move to the subdominant on the bridge. That was for nobody. <laughs> Unless you're into pantonal blues with optional chorus. Uh, in 2004, Sex Machine, these are the kind of facts that you find on the computer that really make the word trivia jump up, grow legs, sprout a tail, and run around my fucking desk for an hour. <laughs> on my desk, I have, of course, pictures of uh, my wife, Jennifer, uh, in various guises. No, I don't, mean as <laughs> I don't mean as different women. It's always her. She's not... Here she's dressed up as Rita Hayworth and Gilda. Uh, no, she's, it's always her, but in different uh, places around the world. And then uh, 
There's one of her in Capri and one in New York and blah, blah, blah. And then I have a, 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 a devil that she bought me uh, at a place called Blackman Cruise here in L.A., which has the most oblique, baroque, and unbelievably abstruse fucking tchotchkes and bric-a-brac and things to put in your home, like a clock from a subway, from a real subway, with the real names of the fucking stations on it. And it'll be like... $3,800 and you're like oh no 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 uh, really and then you think yeah we're in Hollywood people are stu- too stupid to be rich and are guided by designers who go you have to have the $3,800 subway clock and the guy goes well I am from Bronx and she bought me this and it, it, was, it, was, it was costly it wasn't $3,800 it's an inkwell and I know I don't write with a quill pen Like Thomas Jefferson. I've got two machines tied together, right? With a harmonic and a... Sally, get in here. And give me that licking stick. Sally, come here quick. And give me that limp. Bum, 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 bum. We hold these truths to be self. When in the course of human events. One, two, three, four. Uh, and on the desk is this inkwell and the inkwell has a devil's head and you open it up, right? And the devil below on a little sign it says, vitriol. I stick that pen everywhere. Coated with vitriol, and then I write my jokes. Uh, 2004, Sex Machine, and this is where the trivia comes in. Uh, uh, first of all, in 2004, okay, fine, there's a date to this. Secondly, the, the fact I'm about to read you is so astoundingly irrelevant to anything that's ever happened in the course of human events that string theory doesn't begin to understand where this fucker falls into the fucking long, incohesive dash that is the fucking Big Bang, okay? In 2004, Sex Machine was ranked number 326 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Well, holy fuck! Was it after Billy Don't Be a Hero? And before every Jackson Brown song? Because if you recall, in the 70s, Rolling Stone used to write like epistles to Jackson Brown. Like an album would come out and it would have running on empty and they'd be like, this is the definitive album of a chick. And they're like, we're not all white guys wearing flip flops. <laughs> you know, nothing against Jackson Brown except really. Uh, 326. Um, I got news for Rolling Stone magazine and the 500 greatest songs of all time. Get up. I feel like I being a sex machine is number fucking four. <laughs> and you know what the other three fucking songs ahead of it are? Fucking Papa's got a Papa's got brackets a brand new bag. Yeah. Yeah. Three times. And then Sex Machine. Yeah. Papa's got a brand new bag's first three times. Then this song's number four. Rolling Stone magazine. Ben Fong, Torres, Shitface, Motherfucker, Cameron Crow, Nick Toshies. Fuck you, white dudes. You fucking 326. You probably had fucking... Oh, I know you had something up at the top. You had fucking like peaceful, easy feeling by the Eagles or something. <laughs> Seriously. No, it's, it's probably Dylan. It's probably Dylan. I'm just guessing. I don't know what they're fucking... So the Oscars. Um, and let me see your Oscars. Mm. They took place but a short time ago. By the time this drops... It'll have been, I think, four or five days and they'll have been hashed over. I don't think uh, anyone's ever not watched an Oscar program the way they didn't watch this one the other night. Um, and the, uh, the best you can say for it is, uh, after last year's Fukushima Oscars, this was sort of a, you know, just the, oh my God, it was run, you know, buildings, fucking people, shit flying everywhere, all the West Coast ships flying up and down. We're never going to clean this up. James Franco's all over the fucking place. What's Anne Hathaway doing? Is she excited or high? I don't know what's happening. Is James Franco asleep? Is he asleep? Why do you wear a dress? 
after last year's Fukushima, this, this was a return to the simple Pearl Harbor of days past. <laughs> a sneak attack on the fucking pop palette of America. Once again, Hollywood takes out its enormous, scaly, dragon Cisco wand and pulls it across our taste buds for one last fucking savory lick of the film industry on its way out as we Netflix our way into the fucking future. If Netflix had had any balls, they would have bought every moment of advertising time on that fucking show last night. What's that? Who does the little red boxes that are in front of convenience stores that you get the... Yeah, that, they should have bought every moment of the fucking Oscars last night. You don't have time to go to the theater because it's a fucking hassle and it's full of asshole teenagers with guns. Stay at home and enjoy a festive drink and smoke a fat one. Go to the Red Box near the 7-Eleven when you're getting your beer. Cinema, it's still alive. Hey, this copy of Green Lantern 14's been taken out. Looks like I'll have to watch Bridesmaid 6 in 3D. Uh, I was appreciative that they brought Billy back. You know, okay, whatever. Oh, he did that one fucking joke that made me laugh where he said, we've had acrobats, we're one pony away from a bar mitzvah. That one made me laugh. But it was like being in a bar mitzvah, wasn't it? The entertainment was like that. There was racist jokes, kind of old-fashioned. You know, like, he doesn't even know he's being racist because he lives in a rich house and he got called and his friend died and then he did the show anyway and someone had to tell him who, you know, fucking people were and, like, I get it. Uh, he did good. Uh, and But then, uh, why do I have Cisco written there? Oh, it's from the previous page. Cisco was going to sing one of the songs last night. <laughs> The one that Brett wrote from the Concords for the movie The Muppets. No, he wasn't. Uh, But the show, uh, the theme of We Love Movies as a show for an Oscar show is already kind of a, if you'll pardon me, um, a given. Um, The reason why we're watching this is because we give a fuck at all about movies. We're not watching it because it's a great TV show. All right. There is. It's never been a great TV show. Even when Johnny Carson and Bob Hope hosted it, it went on forever. It was just better because it was weirder and people were higher and, and people streaked and shit like that. It wasn't so corporate. It seemed like it was a little looser. Sometimes the presenters were decidedly high on a dazzling variety of opiates and drink or cocaine. And if it was the sting. When Julia Phillips accepted the Oscar for The Sting, she was vibrating out of her skin like a Komodo dragon. So that's what made them better. Uh, wasn't the, the movies. Um, th- this was in the LA Times today, and I thought this was awesome. If our country's finest academic institutions feel an obligation to promote diversity by finding qualified students, it's long overdue for the industry that creates our kids' pop cultures to do the same. Even though Billy Crystal's taking tons of heat for joking apropos of the help that there are no black women in Beverly Hills. Remember, he said he wanted to hug a black woman, but he'd have to drive 45 minutes because that's how far they are from Beverly Hills. Uh, He would have been on perfectly safe ground noting, there aren't any black women greenlighting movies anywhere in Hollywood. Uh huh. And I thought that was a very fucking good point to fucking make. The problem with the movie industry isn't that movies aren't magic. People love fucking movies. I love movies. The problem with the movie industry is that people don't want to go out anymore. They do kind of, but blah, blah. They want something to go for. The problem is every Hollywood movie is a predictable fart fest. And every superhero movie is a predictable CGI fest. And they're making movies over again that were comic books that weren't that fucking involving to begin with. And then if they do make a book and it's a fabulous book like it's war and peace they'll they'll shorten it and dumb it down and just call it like peace you know it's really you know the insulting level of what hollywood will, and then of course there's fabulous independence films there's fabulous uh foreign films there's a million great films being made all the time the oscars just aren't about those films uh this year a little bit the last year i thought a little bit more because there were some strangies and like winner's bone and shit like that uh, this year, you know, they tried to take the high road and made it artistic. I get it. No one saw The Artist as a movie. It didn't make any money. That doesn't make it not a worthy movie. It just makes it a movie that everyone all over America watching the Oscar program goes, I wonder what that movie's like. And then they see the clip and it's in black and white and they go, I'm going to wonder about that for the rest of my life. 
And when you show a montage of films at the beginning of the show, and it's fucking, we're going to need a bigger boat. You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. Uh, you, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Like, surely we've made other movies. I mean, we didn't even have, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You know what I mean? Like, mix it up a little bit. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You know, come on. I was doing Catherine Hepburn doing Betty Davis, but you get the point. Why don't we do one from Dead Ringers? Jeremy Irons says to his brother, you haven't fucked her until you've told me about it. <laughs> um, then the best speech last night was the Iranian, or the other night, was the Iranian director, Asghar, fantastic name, Asghar Farhadi, who directed A Separation, which according to this is excellent. Uh, it was the best foreign language film. And... Um, there was an Israeli film nominated as well. And as you know, this week has been a horrible week of saber-rattling, or the last two weeks, rather. Uh, all the candidates, you know, Rick Santorum, I'm going to bomb Iran. Fucking, I'm, and then the other, getting ready, I'm going to bomb China. And then uh, Romney, I'm fucking bomb everywhere. I'm fucking bomb. I'm like, no, you're not going to do shit, you limp dick fucking Viagra-chewing, pasty-haired, game show host, nipple-prick, bug-fucking, smooth-lobe, monkey-brain, lizard-ass, white guys aren't going to do shit all except rattle fucking sabers. And then Israel today says it's going to fucking fire missiles at Iran and not inform us of this... Whatever. It was awesome to see an Iranian. Uh, not that it's unusual here in, in fucking Tehranjelis. <laughs> but on TV, representing at this juncture because I detest uh, Amanajad I really think he's a cocksucker um, with his disco style and all that and the weird fucking horrible shaved cheekbones but this guy was cool and he said at this time many Iranians all over the world are watching us and I imagine them to be very happy they're happy not just because of an important award or a film or a filmmaker because of the time when talk of war intimidation and aggression is exchanged between politicians the name of their country Iran is spoken here through her glorious culture a rich and ancient culture that has been hidden under the heavy dust of politics. I proudly offer this award to the people of my country, a people who respect all cultures and civilizations. And notice I gave it the William Shatner Star Trek pronunciation. <laughs> civilizations. And despise hostility and resentment. And everybody cheered, and I thought that was a beautiful moment. Sometimes uh, the Oscars, like the Olympics, transcend themselves and, and become real. Uh, and then sincerity pokes its fucking fervent head through. And that was a moment that I thought needed to be fucking said. If I have to hear one more thing about how we're going to go to war with Iran after we've been burning Korans in Afghanistan this week and fuck them off so mortally at uh, that war that's supposed to be over. Now, remember, we've beaten Iraq and Libya, so we're fucking 2-0 in the last decade here. A lot of uneasy laughter. Uneasy laughter. You can complain all you like about the movie that won. Well done to Uggie and well done to Jean Dujardin and uh, Meryl Streep. Whatevs. You know, I'm, I'm happy for her. She, she has a lot of Oscars. And for every Mamma Mia, I think she should have to give back a couple of Oscars. <laughs> Sorry, that's how I feel. Uh, and I started to think, I always talk about how great the 70s were, but were they really that great? For every fucking Godfather 2, there was Mother Jugs and Speed. <laughs> Although all of the fucking Rudy Ray Moore movies came out in the 70s, so consider that. And all of the fucking Pam Greer movies, like Coffee and shit like that. So those, those are hard to fucking top. They really, really are. Uh, but there was a lot of shitty movies then. There really was. Chris Christopherson had a whole movie career through the 70s. <laughs> and for every Cisco Pike or Bloom in Love, there was A Star is Born or Convoy. Yeah, Chris Christopherson made a movie after the song Convoy came out called Convoy about a bunch of trucks in a line going down a road and he'd had his shirt off and would go, Breaker, 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 this is good, big buddy. So the 70s had some fucking down moments too. Although uh, we all had lots of pubic hair and women didn't have titties. It's an interesting decade in that regard. Everyone was thin and loads of fucking bush. Yeah, none of that fucking new millennium shaved clean, icky fucking, you know, porn, porno gato, you know, thing. We didn't have that. We didn't have that. Everybody's hairy and shit. 
so let's just go through the movies that were nominated in the 70s. I, I, I just looked through the 2000s. It's not as bad as I remember. Uh, Crash is, you know, you know, whatevs. And Chicago, you gotta be fucking joking. First of all, Chicago's first musical, The Winston's, what, like Oliver? No fucking way on earth, on any fucking planet, does Chicago win. Not even the best picture. Fucking, di- no, no. You made me angry now by bringing it up. You brought it up. Well, fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you for not thinking of something funny for me to say about it. The scene where Richard Gere is pretending to operate Renelle Zellweger as a, a dummy and she's going like this and, uh, and nobody, you can't see anybody dancing because they can't dance. Like if you remember Gene Kelly movies, Fred Astaire movies, you could see them dancing because they wanted to show their legs and feet and socks. Even Michael Jackson in all of his videos always wore high pants with socks like Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire so you could fucking see him dance. Fucking Chicago. You know, my nose. <laughs> Hey, razzmatazz, razzmatazz, razzmatazz. No. Get up and dance, god damn it. Don't fucking cheat me. Here's the 70s. So, but the, the Gladiator was 2000. Eh, parts of it good, parts of it blow chunkiest. Uh, and then I can't remember. The, but the, you know, Hurt Locker was worthy. I don't know that Hurt Locker was like a great movie, but it was a movie about Iraq and no one had done it. So it's kind of the... Apocalypse Now, Boys of Company C. It's like the first time out. And also a woman director. A woman director. Could there be anybody without a dick that wins a fucking award? Or anyone that's not white that wins a fucking award? Ever, ever, ever. Well, the black girl won the other night. Well, hippy fucking scoodle. That makes, what, five now? Well done, Hollywood. Cinema's been around a hundred years. Um, 1970, Patton won. Oh, I remember this so well. This is when I started watching the Oscars. No, I'm, who's Zooming New? I watched them earlier. But here's the point. Uh, Patton was uh, quite a good movie. Uh, about a, an intense fascist in the movie uh, although I think the government actually might have killed him one of my favorite lines in the movie he's been disgraced because he hit a soldier right and they've, they've suspended him and he's on probation and he can't get a job as a general and all he wants to do is fucking uh, uh, lead his tank division into the German you know Wehrmacht right and it's the end of the war in Europe and stuff and he thinks the war is going to end because they tried to assassinate Hitler like in the Tom Cruise movie and uh, <laughs> In the movie Valkyrie. Uh, so he's standing in the hallway with his valet. He has a valet. And, uh, uh, and he doesn't know whether he's going to be a general again. And he goes, George C. Scott goes, um, an entire world at war. And I'm not allowed to be in it. God will not allow this to happen. I will be allowed to fulfill my destiny. His will be done. <laughs> Thank you. Then he awesomely turned down the Oscar when he wanted that. He didn't even show up. Didn't even fucking show up. Here's the other movies from that year. Airport. Holy shit. Dean Martin plays the pilot. Karen Black. Karen Black. Remember her? Karen Black plays the slutty stewardess who's pregnant by him. Uh, Is Helen ready in that one or is that Airport 2? Oh, fuck. There's, like, nuns, and then the plane almost crashes, and Van Heflin's in it. It is the most turgid piece of torpid disaster. It's actually the movie that kicked off the disaster movie craze. It's the first one. If you've ever seen Airplane, it's completely based on Airport 1 through 6, was it? They made a lot of airport movies, and they're all... One of them, they ran out of plots after the second or third airport movie and put the plane underwater. That was my favorite one. They actually had the plane crash into the ocean and be capsized underneath like the Poseidon Adventure. So it, it was sitting underwater the whole... You gotta be... Helen Reddy played a nun in one of them. That's what I remember. Airport was wild. Dean Martin, well, you gotta... It's time for takeoff. Let's put this bird up in the sky. I've got to tell you something. I think I'm having your baby. We don't have time to deal with that now, darling. Five Easy Pieces, uh, Bob Rafelson. Amazing movie, uh, really hard going now, I think, in a lot of ways. It's got the um, Jack Nicholson hold the chicken between your knees scene, if anybody remembers that. Then why didn't they use that in the fucking montage the other night? Where do you want me to hold the chicken? Yeah, I want you to hold the chicken between your fucking knees. And he fucking throws everything off the... Uh, he didn't say fucking. Love story. Love story. Uh, Allie McGraw. Wow, right? She brought eyebrows back. Yeah. 
It had been a lot of blonde girls. And then Ali McGraw brought fucking having dark hair and eyebrows. And she called him preppy through the home of yours, Ryan O'Neill. He played hockey in it. So you know it was a movie that white people liked. <laughs> Look at that tear going down my face. That pretty almost Semitic girl is, being, is dying of cancer and her toe-headed, curly-headed, waspy boyfriend who plays hockey is so sad. MASH. MASH is, is wild. I don't know if it's a good movie. No, I haven't seen MASH in ages. I remember loving it, you know, as a kid, but uh, 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 Donald Sutherland uh, does a horrible tick through the whole movie. Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould are the leads. They're Hawkeye and um, Chopper. And Elliot Gould is perfect as Chopper. He doesn't say a word for about the first 30 minutes of the movie, and then he produces like a jar of olives at one point. Uh, but Donald Sutherland goes through the whole movie and you're like after the 15th time you're like okay if I'd been Robert Altman I would have fucking taken the joint away and gone no more whistling (laughs) MASH does have awesome static shots though of the speakers all the time in the middle of the movie and they'll go attention tonight's movie is leave it to heaven with Gene Turney really that is that is all Uh, and Bud Court's in it Uh, and Gary Berghoff 71 uh, the French Connection. Yeah. Fuck, I watched it the other day on a plane. I was flying back. Air Canada has a classics channel. I was in uh, British Columbia, and uh, Air Canada has a classics channel. Uh, you said that. Yes. Yeah, I, all right. <laughs> We're going to be in the kitchen all night. Whoa. <laughs> what about Air Canada? Well, they have this classics channel. <laughs> and they were showing... And I, I called my wife from the plane because I said, Jennifer... Butch Cassidy and the Santa Kid and the French Connection are on the Classics Channel. I go, why aren't we flying to the fucking top of the North Pole? I'm only going to British Columbia. I don't have time to... And Ben-Hur with Charlton Huston. I was like, if this was a flight around the world, I'd just be like this the whole time, right? Would you like your third dinner, sir? Yeah. No, I just want the dessert. Fucking French connection, man. New York. Oh, my God. New York in that movie. And, and Je- Gene Hackman. You pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? Yeah. Um, but Roy Scheider. So good looking. I forgot about. Well, devastatingly dashing. And Tony Lobianco plays the fucking gangster in it, man. Tony fucking Lobianco. Guys don't remember me. He's in, he, he was on. No, he wasn't in Toma. That was Tony Misani. He had another. Uh, he had a detective show, too. Someone has to Google fucking Toby, uh, Tony Lobianco. He was also in. Um, Dario Argento film. Which one was it, Jennifer? Remember, wasn't Johnny Livianco one as well? Yeah. He's an Italian-American actor from the early uh, 70s, and he's, he's quite good in it. And then Fernando Rey. So he's chasing him. They're trailing the French guy who's bringing the heroin into the United States, and Gene Hackman's an insane... There's no other way to describe the character because they don't give you any background. The movie just jumps right in. Like, he's already busting guys. Clearly, they're narcotics cops. But Gene Hackman has this insane fervency for busting fucking heroin dealers, right? So the French guy's bringing in all this heroin. They run across, back and forth, back and forth, across the subway, back and forth. He gets out of the subway, he gets in, and gets in. Fernando Ray's clocking him. He gets out, he gets in, he gets in. Finally gets out. At the last second, he steps back in, and Gene Hackman can't get back in the train. And he bangs on the window, and Fernando Ray, wearing a fucking Tyrolean hat and a tan leather midi coat, goes. And Gene Hackman fucking throws his hat down and shit. Hats. That'll show you how old the movie was. These are the other pictures that were nominated that year. A Clockwork Orange was nominated for Best Picture. Can you imagine them even, like, showing it now? I mean, first of all, you can because we have ultraviolence and we have rape as a punchline now. Um, But when that movie came out, if you've never seen Clockwork Orange, and for the teens who are listening out there, (laughs) for those of you who are listening under the covers with your earbuds in, and take uh, so many things I say to you at heart, to heart, um... You might want to hold off on clock records for a few years. <laughs> I, think, I think I was a teenager when I finally saw it, but oh my goodness, it's realistic. And uh, uh, Anthony Burgess uh, helped with the screenplay. Uh, Kubrick wrote a few other parts in, but like the lingo in that movie is just absolutely... I know I've read from it before, so I won't belabor it too much, but it is, it is an amazing... Uh, and there's no other way to put it, sci-fi film, because that's what it is. It's a sci-fi film. Uh, that was me. That is Alex. And my three drugs. Um, 
Fiddler on the Roof, uh, which Norman Jewison made. Norman Jewison, not Jewish. The word Jew is in his name. He was Canadian. Spent his whole life explaining to people that he was Goetia. But he made Fiddler on the Fucking Roof. With Tevye, of all people, good for him. Last picture show, uh, Bogdanovich, right? Yeah. Sybil Shepherd was naked. Yeah. Oh, that's what the 70s were all about. No titties and blonde hair. It was called the Cheryl Ladd Show. Uh, Nicholas and Alexandra, you gotta be fucking joking. Big, bloated, fucking end of the epics, epics, at the end of epics when they didn't make any more fucking epics. Like Gladiator is a callback to the fucking era when I've got seven million people on a horse, all wearing period, and then nothing, then nothing happens. As I remember reading a review of a Kurosawa movie where uh, someone described it as someone runs into a room to tell you something and forgets what they were going to say. That's what... Nicholas and Alexandria should be the most uh, amazing story because it's the last czar and czarina of Russia and, you know, Rasputin, the whole thing, but nothing happens. 72, The Godfather. Okay, get the fuck out of town and change your major. If there's two movies on uh, uh, cable that whenever you're flipping by them, you go, I'm going to watch for a minute. <laughs> and then cut to... Uh, Jackie Brown, right? Pulp Fiction, The Godfather, Goodfellas. I mean, there's not, you know, where you, um, I was going to go out. You know, you're in a fucking tuxedo and whatnot. Because that's how your life is, right? You had a corsage on, a wristlet. All of a sudden, they're cut to you, the high heels are tattering, teetering on the floor, right? Fucking box of chocolates upended. You laying there with a with a uh, Uggy the Jack Russell Terrier on your lap, who's watching the movie like you are crying in parts and then no child in the park. <laughs> My wife and I are sitting in Rome outside the Pantheon, and uh, uh, not right now, uh, a while ago, and. Um, you're in Rome, right? And we're having a piece of pizza, in fact, uh, at a little sidewalk cafe outside the Pantheon. And the Pantheon's extraordinary, right? A, 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 a cement dome. It's still perfect inside, beautiful. Giant hole in the ceiling lets light and whatnot. Um, and we're sitting outside, and a fucking guy, street musician, pitches up and starts playing the theme from The Godfather. And you're like, okay, all right, everybody, cool it. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to Nashville next week. I don't expect to get off the plane and hear, I can't stop loving you. I've made up my mind. Although it would be great, wouldn't it? If you got off the plane in Nashville, goodbye, Joe, me gotta go, me on my own. The minute you got off. Uh, Cabaret. Cabaret didn't win Best Picture? Liza won and Joel Grey won. Joel Grey won for Best Supporting. Cabaret's superb. Screw Helm. What does she say? Screw Maximilian. And he says, screw Maximilian to Liza Minnelli. And she goes, I do. And Michael, and Michael York goes, so do I. <laughs> it's kinky as fuck. Deliverance? Wow. Where does a comedian start with deliverance? Not since Gilligan Island has a premise been warmed over so heartily. Uh... Again, kids, if you're listening out there in podcast land, hold off on deliverance for a while. I want you to like Burt Reynolds later. Sounder, astounding, right? One of the first great giant black films with an all-black cast. Paul Winfield, how he didn't win the Oscar, whatever. Well, because Brando fucking won. Uh, the Immigrants, right? Was, that was Lee Woolman, was it not? The director had a fabulous name, Bengt Forsland. And uh, it was a Swedish picture. Um... She had jumped off. Was she on the fucking Bergman train at that point? She was, wasn't she? And she kind of nipped over and did this one. I just remember the costumes were those unspeakable turn-of-the-century Swedish high-collar long dresses with the horrible handbags. This is my review. <laughs> you think that the movie The Emigrants should have had better handbags, Greg? <laughs> it wouldn't have hurt. As Cuddle Zaka would All right, nipping to the end. Uh, the Sting one in 73, which was really... It's a fun movie, as I've said. Great movie? It beat, and this will make you laugh, Cries and Whispers by Bergman. Which also, I believe, has Lee Woolman, does it not? Ingrid Chulin? Who's in Cries and Whispers? A touch of Class with um, 
uh, Glenda Jackson, who she won the Oscar that year, which is for a comedy, The Exorcist, which is an absolutely shocking 70s movie. Again, if you're laying there listening under the covers, no. <laughs> Young girls of Iowa, do not watch The Exorcist, do not watch Clockwork Orange, and do not watch Deliverance. There's a reason why those are rated the way they are. And American Graffiti, which is good fun. Uh, 74 Godfather 2, which is extraordinary. And, it, and listen to the other fucking, the other two movies that come off the bat. Chinatown and The Conversation. Fucking good year, right? And you would call The Conversation an independent film now, right? That's not a mainstream movie. It's so weird. Lenny, which is okay. Uh, and then The Towering Inferno, which is like, you're, the building's on fire. I told you you shouldn't have built it. <laughs> The Towering Inferno has Richard Chamberlain as a bad guy, and he tries to cut out on the rest of the people caught in the Inferno because he's such a fucking cad, but he's so good looking and he's wearing a tuxedo. How are the handbags in that movie? They're all right. <laughs> 75 is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Here's the other movies, and these are going to blow your fucking shit away. Barry Lyndon by Stanley Kubrick, which is a gigantic fucking costume drama that takes place over dozens of years and over uh, um, uh, it, it, several countries. It's an amazing movie. That's the first movie where they use real light in scenes, right? Like, or, not real, not the first movie, but uh, the first high-budget film where they were ostentatious about using candles in scenes. So there's whole scenes lit by candles. It's a, it, you've got to see it. It's amazing. There's one scene where a carriage goes across the screen for like two and a half minutes. To a, to a classical piece. You know, dun, 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 and you just... Oh, he's, he's, it's real cinema. Dog Day Afternoon, which is un, maybe one of the great American movies. I one Flew Over the Cougs Nest is a fabulous movie, a fabulous theme, everything. Dog Day Afternoon, I think, is a greater American movie and said more about the time. Sorry. Uh, Jaws, what the fuck, right? And Nashville, which is another fucking unbelievably prescient. Notice a theme here, though. Uh, Kubrick, um, Altman, uh, Coppola, Polanski. There's, you notice the same directors have come up like 15 fucking Bergman. Well, he's only once, but it's pretty wild. 76 Rocky. Rocky won. Yo, Adrian. Yeah. You see this? These are my clippings. He had a nail in his glove. That was Burgess Meredith. All the President's Men, uh, Redford and uh, uh, Hoffman, Bound for Glory, which is uh, quite good. David Carradine, don't even think about David Carradine now. And if you're in your bed listening on earbuds, don't think about David Carradine's death. Uh, but watch him go. Take your time. Take your time, audience. No, you'll get there. Take your time. No, no, you can't take any more time. Time's up. Uh, network. Network. There's a scene in Network, for those of you who haven't seen it, and no, I'm not going to spoil the fucking movie. It's about TV. <laughs> um, they hire a terrorist group to go shoot and fucking rob banks every week, and there's a scene where the Network people are negotiating with the terrorist group, and it is the truest Hollywood scene in the history of show business. Talk about Ernst Lubitsch. The terrorists didn't lose their jobs. It's a reality show where terrorists go out every week and kill people. And the way the network negotiates with them is unbelievable. And Taxi Driver. I forgot it was from 76. Holy cow. That's, that's Scorsese's first uh, nomination. And then he won it for The Departed, what, three or four years ago? Mm. 77 Annie Hall. Amazing. Goodbye Girl. Ooh, a lot of comedies that year. Oh, light old year, 77. I had giant glasses like that. Julia, which had uh, Jane Fonda smoking, and uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Star Wars was nominated that year. The Turning Point. Anybody remember The Turning Point? All the girls would. Uh, uh, Shirley MacLaine and um, uh, Mel Brooks' wife, whose name is Anne Bancroft in the ballot movie. We'll wrap it up here. 78 was The Deer Hunter. Coming Home, Having to Wait, Midnight Express, Unmarried Woman. Midnight Express. Holy cow. That had so much awesome potential male rape in it. Uh, and then Kramer versus Kramer. The year the Kramer vs. Kramer's won, Apocalypse Now and All That Jazz, Breaking Away, and Norma Ray. Fucking A. Did, did um, Sidney Lumet make Norma Ray? Or is that Martin Ritt? I think it's Martin Ritt. Oh my God. So how many so fucking social issue movies? Norma Ray, uh, Midnight Express, Unmarried Woman, um, Bound for Glory, fucking Taxi Driver, 
Dog Afternoon, all these movies about transgender, all these movies about women. I'm surprised Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore wasn't nominated uh, in this list. Anyways, that was my boring take. I, I didn't want to say it was the 70s were better than ever, but um, those are some interesting fucking movies, you have to agree, from one bloody decade. Uh, to the 2000s will hold their own. It won't be as sad as you remember. The 90s, on the other hand... <clears throat> <laughs> We will reconvene uh, this weekend, uh, Thursday night, at Nashville at Zany's. And I've never been to Nashville before. I'm very much looking forward to going to Tennessee, the prettiest state in the land of the three. Free. Or the three. Yeah, divine into that what you will, Rick Santorum. I live in the land of the three. What land do you live in? Um... And uh, uh, then we're going to be at Esther's Follies in Austin at the South by Southwest Festival, being terminally hip at 6 o'clock on the 10th of March. Then we'll be at the Soho Theater in London on the 27th, uh, the Tron Theater in Glasgow on the 29th, and La Java in Paris um, on the 3rd of April. Those are our next approved casts coming up. I'm sorry I didn't answer any of your questions tonight. I have a load of them, and when I say that, I mean of questions. And... Uh, <laughs> They're in a sheaf here. I'm waving them at the audience. They can hear them. Look at them, audience. Uh, and I don't have time for any of them, but I appreciate you sending them. Smartest at a special thing dot com. Uh, you can also go to proopcast.com to our Tumblr and groove on this for free ever and ever. And also uh, gregproops.com. And there's lots of fun to be had there and weird, confusing things. And you have to turn down the fucking music and it's a hassle. So uh, that's been our show. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight. We'll see you in Nashville this Thursday night. This has been the smartest man in the world, Proopcast. And I wish you nothing but vermilion dawns. Uh-oh.